You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Power of Why podcast with your host, Jeanette Collazo. Today, I want to talk about fatigue. It's a very interesting topic because when it comes to human error, a lot of people don't think that fatigue has such an impact. In reality, fatigue is the, the number, the third top factor for human error. Okay. So when we talk about fatigue, we have to link that to the effectiveness and efficiency and productivity in the workplace. So it's very important that we talk about fitness for duty, which includes fatigue, of course, and that we understand that successful task performance require the capability workers bring to the task fall within an unexpected range, right? We have certain criteria. An impairment or a reduction in an individual's mental or physical capabilities to do fatigue can include substance abuse, can include illness, stress, or physical limitations. And we can also add to that, you know, as part of fitness for duty, we have also, or individual type of situations like, you know, color blindness and other things that could affect our performance when it comes to what I bring to the table, what I bring in my own physical capabilities. And that's part of what fatigue is trying to capture. Now, not everybody has the same tolerance and not everybody has, what I'm trying to say is not everybody's going to be tired after eight hours of working, maybe due to the physical demands or mental demands. It's not that big of a deal, if you will. But then if you add to that, you know, physical demands, a lot of analysis, maybe, you know, these movements that we need, temperature, all of these things do have an impact. And that's why we want to talk about this. So why is it that it's important to talk about fatigue? Well, barriers to fitness for duty related errors include company programs for the detection and prevention of potential or actual impairment, as well as the individual responsibilities of workers to decline assignments if they are impaired for any reason. Now, declining assignments, if I feel that I am impaired for any reason, is kind of a tricky one. Because humans are generally overconfident in their capabilities when it comes to the day-to-day -day assignments. So we really think that we can continue and we force ourselves to continue. Remember, we have a goal and that's dangerous because sometimes we ignore our issues and continue to work putting the situation and ourselves in danger. Now, many companies have a program to guard against fitness for duty issues related to substance abuse, shift rotation and illness, but some do not. And I've seen this many, many times that there is, for example, work-life balance. Yes, we have those programs, but not necessarily we implement them or, you know, apply these programs in the best way. It's kind of having a program that it's there, but not necessarily we give the importance that it deserves. So it's one of the things that we see all the time. So if you have a program, make sure that you implement it and that you enforce that type of, you know, work-life balance. But like for real, not, not just saying that you do, it's making sure that people take the time that they need. One thing that I always talk about is vacations, for example. And when I talk about vacations, I always like to compare it to when you do out at the plant. 
right? Every year, the plants shut down to, you know, do troubleshooting to the equipment, preventive maintenance, all of these things to make sure that the equipment is taken care of. And basically, kind of working with, you know, taking a break and making sure everything is okay and putting the equipments back into optimum performance. Now, when it comes to humans, that will be the, the, the equivalent to vacations, right? So we have to take vacations. It's part of what's necessary. Otherwise, companies wouldn't give vacations. <laughs> so we have to take vacations. We have to plan for that and also make sure that we get our resting periods and all of that also, of course. Another thing that makes this so important is the fact that most companies do not have programs in place to train supervisors on how to identify and correct fitness for duty issues. And that's why we do this type of episode, because we want to give you what are those things that you can be paying attention to, to say, I see fatigue here and I have to do something about it because otherwise we might get issues with errors or accidents. So that's very important. Supervisors need to be able to identify, and we will talk about that. I just want to make sure that we know that there are responsibilities from the company, from the employees, but also supervisors and our leaders that want to make sure that we have everything that we need to be successful, including fitness for duty. So the aspect most commonly lacking is control of fatigue or normally lack of enforcement of the company standards for control of fatigue. Fatigue can greatly increase error rates, like I have mentioned before. And there is one study that shows that 17 hours of work, or driving a vehicle for that matter, without a break, produces same human error rate as someone who has a blood alcohol content of 0.05. And drivers who have been awake for 24 hours have an equivalent driving performance to as a person who has a blood alcohol content of 0.1. And that's, it's seven times more likely to have to be on an accident. So as you see, it's not just, you know, when it comes to our work, it's after you leave work, you have to drive home. If you have a long commute, that could be very dangerous. So it's not just, you know, when it comes to execution and performance in the workplace, but also in our personal lives and in our personal, you know, environments. Now that's when it comes to alcohol, but let's take a look at this. When the effect of on the baseline, on human error rates, it's going to be even higher, right? So we are talking about alcohol and accidents, but when it comes to, you know, human error rate, it is even more severe than overall likelihood of causing a traffic accident. There can be up to 20 times more errors in judgment or errors in decision-making as measured from actual accidents in the workplace. Now, according to the aviation and marine industries that have studied fatigue intensively, the overall relationship for fatigue can be expressed as fatigue is equal to function of cumulative fatigue plus shift work fatigue minus breaks minus naps. So as you see, I have, you know, how much I'm doing and how much I'm resting. 
So also we have data, and, and this is mostly, you know, mostly for chemical processing operations that has been studied and that we today we know, and this again, we don't have data on every single type of industry. So we have to work with what we have. And when it comes to chemical processing operations, most of them do not allow NAPs and have likely never thought of the use of NAPs to limit the effect of fatigue. Instead, the hours work are consecutive and sometimes quite long. In a study by the, Dep the U.S. Department of the U DOT, the percent of risk of errors increases with the number of consecutive days of work. And that's what I was talking about when I was talking about accumulative fatigue. Even for an eight-hour shift, the error rate doubles by day five. So I see sometimes companies that say, well, the, the last month we've been working seven days because we have pressing situation at, at the site. And sometimes when you hear this, it's just like, it's just one month. Well, the problem is that after day five, it actually doubles. So we do have to, after the fifth day, we have to give some resting time. Okay. And one thing that is interesting is that some states have labor laws that control Uh, periods of rest. And I can talk about Puerto Rico. We do have that. And there are, you know, certain controls by law. So it's easier when you have a law because you don't need the company policy to control fatigue. You do have a law and everybody has to comply with that. And that I think that should exist everywhere. Additional data has also shown that for 10 days of straight 12-hour workdays, the error rates for non-routine tasks such as startup or a continuous unit, you know, operation can increase to one mistake in five to 10 steps, as opposed to the target of one mistake in a hundred steps for optimized human factors, which is basically the lowest observable rate, one in a hundred. So in this case, similar to the error rate observed during the, you know, when, during activities to control critical activities that could avoid major accidents and major issues. So what can we do when it comes to fatigue? Well, first, if you don't have it, you want to implement a company fitness for duty program with primary responsibility for detecting and preventing impaired personnel from performing tasks that may affect productivity and safety, medical evaluations of personnel, behavioral observation programs, employee assistant programs, and drug and alcohol testings, which is mostly used, especially when there are accidents in the workplace. Weaknesses in these programs may allow impaired personnel to have access to vital areas in a plant where they could commit errors that can be very simple and non-consequential, all the way to very major disasters that could be very terrible for the organization and for the rest of the environment. We see things that can basically affect national security. So we're talking from the, I forgot to take a sample, all the way to making a mistake and having a nuclear meltdown, for example. Another thing that we can do is make sure that we have overtime policies and practices. We do have a need to for periods of rest, but there is also situations in which we put people in this in the position of working more than they should, and then of course start that savings, if you will, of fatigue that continues to accumulate over time. So most com companies establish limits for work hours 
to reduce on-the-job fatigue and potential consequences for poor task performance. Routine authorization for work hours in excess of those recommended may result in fatigue workers. Furthermore, a schedule from work hour limitations will also contribute to fatigue. Furthermore, a practice of excluding training or meetings that occur outside of an individual's domestic work schedule, a schedule from work hour limitations will also contribute to fatigue. So what, when we talk about training, when we talk about meetings, they are part of your work. They should be within the work hours. This is one thing that happens to me very often. For example, if I'm going to a company and I'm going to do training for the th all of the shifts and I have a third shift that, that needs to be part of the training, one of the practices that I've noticed is that they want to say, well, they end their shift at six in the morning. So we're going to start the training from six to eight and we're going to pay over time. Well, and in those cases, my responses are always the same one. No, I rather do the training at the beginning of the shift because they will have enough, you know, rest and they will be able to learn, which is what we do with training, right? That's what we want. It's not just to comply and check the box, which is what's going to happen if I start at six o'clock in the morning. People are going to be tired and they are not even going to pay attention. They're not going to be happy when they're tired and they want to go home. So when these things occur, I always ask, you know, I'd rather be here at one o'clock in the morning and then we can do the training or 11, whatever the beginning of the shift is, and then make sure that you include that time in your work plan. Another thing that I've noticed with, and again, it's my experience with training, the fact that they say, well, we cannot stop production for the training. And my answer is always like, I understand that. But when you do a budget, right, when you do a budget in your organization, you put some time for training right? It's part of the headcount analysis. It's part of all of that. So that means that if you have to do training, you have to go back to the hours that you already established in your budget and then ask planning to allow those hours whenever is possible. It doesn't have to be last minute request. Just plan accordingly. There are hours that are there to be used in training. Claim them. Now, what is healthy when it comes to overtime? We all know that that's going to happen, and it's also part of the budget. So, yes, we do know that it will happen. Now, we have to consider that, you know, the studies and the data that we have when it comes to overtime, okay? So, for example, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission gives, gives some guidance for control of overtime, and this is how it established. A maximum of 72 hours of work per six-day period a maximum of 16 hours of work in one day and no more than one 16-hour day within that period, a minimum of 24 contiguous, you know what I mean, hours away from work within the seven-day period. So yes, there are guidances that provide helpful information on the entire fitness for duty program. So there is no excuse. There is data and it's based on studies and science. So these programs... Um, you know, and not only cover fatigue, actually, you know, they also cover, you know, how to prevent and detect and cope with substance abuse, stress, you know, and, and other elements of fitness for duty. Now, the DOT has even more stringent, well, limiting work hours and establishing required hours for recovery from fatigue. The maritime regulators in the United States, Europe, Canada, Australia, and others use limits similar to those mentions 
for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, okay? So the limit hours of the DOT, it's similar to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, but they do have certain differences. So let me go here, and this is in Article 5 of the regulation. It says, the limit on hours of work or rest shall be as follows. Maximum hours of work shall not exceed 14 hours in any 24-hour period and 72 hours in a seven-day period. Okay, now they say it's either that or minimum hours of rest shall not be less than 10 hours in a 24-hour period and 77 hours in any seven-day period. Okay, so and then there is also similar requirements that are part of other type of regulators. But unfortunately, there is exceptions that are also included as part of these documents in which they say, well, you know, there is an exception in which you can extend hours. But the problem is that those extensions and those exceptions are designed so we don't have our hands tight when there is a very non-routine activity. So there is certain flexibility, but that doesn't mean that can become their routine. And that's where the problem lies. That's why when you have exceptions are for exceptions. It's not to create that as a routine type of approach. Another important element when it comes to overtime is the schedules, right? The shift schedule. Shift scheduling may also affect the likelihood that personnel will show performance decrements. Now, the other element to consider when it comes to time is shift scheduling. Shift scheduling may also affect the likelihood that personnel will show performance decrements due to fatigue. A change in the assigned shift or a rotating shift schedule will disrupt circadian rhythms and may increase the likelihood of errors. So a company must choose the proper shift rotation to allow adjustments to sleep patterns. So that means that when you rotate shifts, there are moments in which you're going to have kind of an overlap on those resting periods. So that needs to be also factored in the design of the schedules and and, in assigning people to different activities. So that needs to be considered. It's not only the, the hours that I work, but also the rhythm of those hours of work. Now, I don't want to finish without talking about, you know, how is it that we can identify fatigue? And remember, one of the things that I mentioned is that we recommend that you train supervisors in those things that could help people or help them identify fatigue. And some of the things that you can start looking for, example, when you see people that have difficulty concentrating or staying focused on tasks, you can actually see that. Okay, that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to detect it every time. It's not infallible or anything like that. But these are signs or things that you want to look for. You also want to check for slow reaction times or decreased cognitive performance. You want to make sure that you're, you're, you're observing for certain behaviors like, you know, yawning, nodding off or feeling drowsy while on the job. It's, it's something that I can. And actually, if you are trained and how it looks like, of course, I cannot do a full training and show you, you know, face expressions and all of those things because they're more visual, but yes, you want to have an idea of how that looks like, okay? Physical symptoms also like muscle aches or eye strain. I have been working in, or I have worked with um, 
eye fatigue before. And it's interesting because a lot of people don't consider this as a problem. But for example, in a visual inspection that was performed through a microscope, because it was a very small particles that they were looking for, and it was not visible to the naked eye, that visual inspection needed to happen through a microscope. One of the things that that we noticed when they started failing to detect defects was there were factors associated to eye fatigue. For example, when you're in regular, you know, observing or, you know, your regular day, you blink this many times. But when you're doing visual inspections, especially through a microscope, you're going to blink half the time because you, you are forcing your eyes to focus on what you're looking for. And that creates, you know, dryness in the eyes and then you you are not going to be able to see clearly. So there are certain things that you can implement. And just to give you an example, let me, you know, there is one, one exercise that is very good for eye fatigue. One exercise that can be done is called the 10, 10, 10 rules for eyes. And it's basically, it's basically that you take a look at something else, you know, you're doing the visual inspection and then you look at something else 10 feet away for 10 seconds every 10 minutes. And that way you can rest your eyes and then continue with the activity. Of course, you would have to, you know, establish how is it going to be done? What is it that they're going to be looking for? How to measure all of this? But make sure that there is at least 10 at that you rest your eyes looking something 10 feet away from for 10 seconds every 10 minutes. And that that really works. We have impl- implemented that before. Another thing that you might notice is that viewers that in, you know that increase risk-taking activities or decrease motivation. So when you see that people are starting to make decisions that are not making a lot of sense, that you know it could be related to fatigue. So you want to do this. And also another thing that you might be on the look is increased absenteeism or increased errors or accidents on the job errors and all of these things. If you document them, if you do investigations, all of these is part of the data that you can use. Of course, this could be post facto. So you want to make sure that you don't have to wait until something happens to go back. So you can understand, you can study all of these factors in your organization. You do have the data. What you have to do is basically take the time, take a look at what you're doing, take a look at what your environment looks like, make sure that you have programs in place that you can identify you know, issues associated to fatigue and that everybody understands that if they feel tired and they feel that they're not fit for duty in a particular moment, that they can tell you, encourage that people let you know, because that's going to make a difference between, you know, preventing and or dealing with this after the fact. So I think that when it comes to fatigue, (laughs) I'm a little tired of talking about fatigue that's so bad. Basically, this is what I wanted to discuss. Just make sure that if you have questions and if you want to add some information, even data, I, you know, one thing that I want to ask my listeners is that if you have data that you can share when it comes to statistics and some items associated to any of the things that I'm discussing in this episode that you share and that way expand or, you know, improve the content and provide more, more data. I don't have everything and there is, it's very difficult to get data on human error and all the factors associated to human error. So that's what I wanted to talk. And I hope you enjoy it. You can implement some things, take some rest and hear you, or I mean, you hear me next time. 
Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe, share, and hope you have a great rest of the week. Take it away. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.